Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the show. I'm your host with the most and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you don't already, please take a moment and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. And follow me on the socials. I'm at Carolina Gropa, and the show is Angle on Producers. As you may have read about in the trades, I embarked on a new and exciting chapter of my career recently, and I am so stoked to be a part of Issa Rae's Color Creative as the executive in charge of production. I feel so, so lucky and so honored to be a part of her ecosystem, truly. I talk about this very often on the pod and sharing my own story. I grew up in the trenches of production alongside my fellow crew members. Set life formed me in many ways, and I will always have the backs of those who work tirelessly behind the scenes to bring your favorite stories to life. I absolutely support IATSE's fight for higher wages and better working conditions for their members. This is beyond important. It's actually urgent and necessary especially in light of the tragic and avoidable death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins, who lost her life a few weeks ago due to pure negligence. It takes a special kind of human to gravitate towards and dedicates one life to the often grueling work that is required for production. While I didn't personally know her, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that we lost a very special soul. My heart goes out to her family. And anyone that knew her or worked with her, I cannot even begin to imagine. The least we can do now is honor her legacy by working towards improved and safer working conditions for all. And I hope wherever she is, she is resting in power. It's challenging work, but it's work that is worth doing. And this week's guest reminds us of the why. Why we get into this crazy-ass business in the first place. Liz Cardenas is a badass indie producer. She's also a writer, a director, an actor, and she is here to fill your ears with joy. She is a 2019 Independent Spirit Award nominee and was featured on Latinx Tea, a highly curated list of emerging Latino creators from an initiative formed by Zoe Saldana, Robert Rodriguez, and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Notable producing credits include Augustine Frizzell's Never Going Back and David Lowry's A Ghost Story, starring Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck. There are so many fascinating individuals with unique career paths in this industry, especially producers, as you know. I'm obsessed with them. I'm obsessed with capturing this, bottling it up in these little time capsules. And Liz's journey is truly no exception. So this week, we dive deep into embracing the nomadic lifestyle that allows her to pursue her passions, her secret sauce for creating and sustaining relationships with friends who are also collaborators, and why it takes so long to find your people. So without further ado, let's tune in and hear from Liz. I went to school and studied and had a major in like broadcast journalism. And, you know, when I was little girl, you know, we would put on plays for my parents and their friends. And I I always wanted to be an actress, but that was like foreign in my family, you know, to be like, I'm an actress. I love writing. I love meeting people. And so that's where I kind of had the idea of like this kind of combining an on-air kind of personality. You decided that being in front of the camera as um, in broadcasting was going to be a path there. A path. And and that, therefore I could still continue kind of like something that's like a, a career that, you know, kind of combining like interviewing and writing and meeting people. And then with like some sort of like on-camera performing. And so 
in my head, I kind of saw myself as down the line being something like a Barbara Walters, where I could interview, like do in-depth interviews. And, and I kind of also, you know, people made comments like when I was younger about, oh, I could totally see you as being like an entertainment reporter, that type of thing. And so, you know, when I graduated from college, I got a job at a smaller newspaper and then started pursuing acting. So I was acting while I was a reporter. And then I got a job at the Dallas Morning News. So I was a, an actual journalist and then pursuing acting on the side, going on commercial auditions. And it was interesting because you're out of the office interviewing people all the time. Uh, so it was very easy to be like, oh, I've got an interview and I'd go on an audition and I booked yeah. a commercial. I'd be like, oh, got more interviews. They they just cared if your story was in on time and if it was right. done well. So I could right. have I could do whatever hours I wanted. And so then I just realized a little bit over time, I don't really like being a reporter. Like I don't thrive on the controversy. Like yeah. I like more of like the lifestyle, human interest pieces. And so I quit being a reporter. And then that's when I started kind of writing screenplays. Because again, I started off as kind of this writer actress and then still kind of pursued acting as I was writing. And then it was a, a, a film that I was just an actress in that I was like going to meetings and been like, oh, I can find this or I can get that. And I just really helped with everything. And it was over the course of the movie that they were like, you should get a producing credit. And I was like, <laughs> I had no idea, like, what is a producer? Yeah. Never even, that never even occurred to me, but I was like, this feels really good. Like, I like this feeling of empowerment, yeah. working on stuff and getting things done, not hoping someone's going to cast me, not hoping that someone's going to buy my script. And so that was really like a light bulb moment. And it wasn't until sometime later that I realized my reporting or journalism background really was a perfect skill set to being a producer mm. because as a journalist, you are like fearless. You're talking to anyone. You're not taking no for an answer. You're juggling several pro stories at the same time. So you have to be able to manage everything. Yeah. And so it was a unique, you know, and, and even when you were talking earlier about the unique path that we get here, you know, that was never what I thought of. I've always loved yeah. movies. I always kind of considered myself a storyteller. And that's how I look at myself now. Like the producing is kind of what I've had the most success at. Yeah. But I also still continue to write. I've directed two short films. I, I want to direct my first feature. I still act in things. And I, like I said, I just like to, to say, hey, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a storyteller. But I, I love producing because I love the empowering feeling that I get. I love collaborating. I love working with others. And I also like learning from people. And I like working with different producers, too. Yeah. Do you feel like that having this, this, you know, being a multi-hyphenate, which it's so funny how it's evolved. Like I remember when I first moved out to LA, it was like, you should only be doing one thing. And then it's like, if you're only doing one thing, what's wrong with you? And now it's like, why are you doing more than one thing? It's like, it goes back and forth all the time. And multi-hyphenate was like a buzzword. And now to some, it's like a dirty word. It means to some that you don't have a focus or something, which I find I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on that, I guess. But yeah. But do you find that having access and understanding to all the different parts of the process, how does that inform you as a producer? It gives you a different perspective. To me, everything that I've done as like a multi-hyphenate, it's like whether mm -hmm. it's editing and then I'm like, oh my gosh, as an editor, I've been so much better as like a writer. And then that means that when I'm a producer and I'm reading a script, working with a director, writer, director on the script, I'm envisioning, you know, what the movie will be and 
not just like, okay, producing it. So I'm looking at it from a perspective of locations, costs, you know, like logistical things. I'm also looking at creatively what I respond to emotionally. And then I'm also like reading the script, visualizing it. And then, you know, as an actor, when I'm a producer, I, I understand what actors are going through on set. Yeah. So I, I think I come from, a, you know, that perspective. And so I think everything has helped me. I do believe that I probably, you know, might be more successful had I been more focused. Mm -hmm. But I look at this as like my life. Like this is a journey. I'm an artist. But in what way? Like if you had of, of the paths, right? Which of those then, if you, if you had to choose one gun to your head, which one do you think you would have been the most successful at? I, I think I could have been more successful at any of them to some extent. If I really was like, I am not writing and directing, I'm not interested in any of that. I'm just producing mm -hmm. time spent working on my script, doing rewrite, shooting a short, I would be more focused on just producing. If I would have been like, I'm not producing, I'm really good. Like once I started like directing, once I directed two short films, oh, I would have been not spending the last couple of years producing films. I would have directed a couple more short films and already done my feature. Right. But there's only so much time that you have. But to me, yeah. if this is what I'm in it for the long haul, and I look at this as like, I'm an artist, this is a journey, you know, you don't master it. So therefore, I feel like I'm going to be very well-rounded storyteller. And I don't have any time constraint. I'm somebody that really loves looking at everything from a growth mindset and from an open, open position. So to me, if I'm like, I'm open to what's going to happen. And it will happen yeah. when it's supposed to happen. And if I literally make choices based on my experience, so you learn from mistakes, and then from your gut, your gut and your heart, then you're not going to go wrong. Right. <laughs> and it just takes a little bit more time. But I think that's going to be a strength for me. But, but I know other people who are literally like, oh, all I want to do is produce, or they are a mm. director, or they are solely a writer. And I think that's great. Um, that's just not me. And I'm trying to embrace me. Right. One thing though, um, is that I have had some people tell me when you come from like a regional market, like I came from Texas, all my original movies were shot in Texas. You kind of have to be a multi-hyphenate. So, you know, it's different if you're just in LA or New York or a bigger city. It's like when you are working from a regional market, I mean, that's part of it. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. As time has changed in the industry, People are really looking for unique points of view. Yeah. Was there a clear pivot for you when you produced your first thing where it was clear, like, I'm stepping in and I'm wearing this producer hat. This is what I'm doing. And then was there a struggle that you faced in accepting all of these different facets of who you were and that you weren't just going to be put in one box and you're like, no, like everybody's going to tell you pick a lane, but you knew that you had the, this very faceted interest and that you were like umbrella storyteller. And I, I ask that because a lot of the people that I know have struggled to find and commit to that identity because it's such a hard industry. So I'm curious how all of that has unfolded for you and how long it's taken you to make peace with it, though that sounds like negative, right. you know, but like just to kind of like embrace right. it, embrace no, it more totally. like the better term. <laughs> yeah. The better word, but yeah, I yeah. totally know exactly what you're talking about. And what's even, okay, so I have an even crazier. <laughs> story. So in addition to starting off as a journalist and then writing screenplays and acting and then kind of stumbling on a producing, what happened is that from that film that I had like my first 
first producing type credit, that from that film, I made connections with like a, a, dis- a distributor, like a distribution company in Los Angeles. And then I started working with her and she was starting a new company. She worked for like a bigger entertainment distribution company. And this is also with my ex. Mm-hmm. And so my ex and I made a series of family right. Kids with your films. dogs in it, right? And they were like yeah. talking dog movies. They weren't just, oh my God. they weren't just dog movies. And so but this is a while ago, right? This yes, is like a, long at time a different ago. time in our industry, right? Like I read that it was like the height of the DVD boom. A hundred percent. In our world. Yeah, yeah. And what ended up happening was, again, just like when I stopped being a reporter and I was like, I'm just writing. I wrote mm. a script that wasn't a talking dog movie. I wrote a family movie, you know, a young girl that's the protagonist a dog, she has her dog. And it's like a normal family movie with a strong female protagonist that was a child. And then the dog was in it. And I'm just a sucker for dog movies. I love dogs. I love animals. <laughs> so I kind of wrote it for fun. So when we met with her, she's like, I'm starting a new company. I'm focused on family and kids entertainment because there's such a need for it. And that movies with dogs do really well. Both yeah. boys and girls like them. They need a world ride. And so I sent her the script and she's like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So it was just something that I wrote for fun on my downtime that led Mm. into something. It was kind of organic. So then when I made these family dog movies, that was what I looked at as like my film school. And Mm. so we did everything. Like we co-wrote them. They were my dogs. I acted in them. I produced them. Like I edited them. Like I, I did, it's like everything from A to Z. And we were selling foreign territories before we made them. So I had delivery dates, like it was like legitimate, but very small. Yeah. It allowed me to make mistakes and learn. And I was like, oh, I don't want to just do this. I don't want to just make family kids movies. I don't mind making bigger budget family kid movie every once in a while, but that's not what I want to do. And so I sought out the filmmakers in Texas who were making the artistic films that were playing South by and Sundance and Cannes. The Duplass brothers. I ended up becoming friends with Augustine Frizzell, who I ended up producing for, and David Lowry and the the Sailor Bear guys, and then another filmmaker named Daniel Lobbs. Um, And so, you know, they had all had these films that I really responded to that I felt like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is art. And so I started like producing short films for them. And, uh, you know, and again, you're doing it very small and then it ends and then you start developing friendships. So it turns from like working with them to friendship. And it was Augustine and I, who she was also an actress that started wanting to direct. And so I produced her short films. She produced my short films. You know, I acted in her films. She acted in my films. And we had this really supportive, um, you know, relationship that was also based in friendship. Um, And then when I worked on a ghost story, you know, David, Mm. I had already worked with her and I worked with James Johnston, who was one of you know, David's producers, you know, producing and acting in his short films. And so David come to me like, I have an acting role for you in a ghost story. Would you like to act in it? And I was like, oh my God, yes. And then they came to me saying, hey, what about helping us like on the producer side? And I saw this as being such a huge opportunity for me as a producer, but then also to learn, like to watch David and see his process and watch Toby and James as his producers. And so the long answer to your question, I'm just trying to like build up to this thing. So now a ghost story goes to Sundance. It's an A24 film. We shoot Never Going Back. 
that premieres at Sundance. It's an A24 film. It's like, oh my gosh, this is huge. I had a really a deep heart-to-heart talk with Augustine. And she was like, you know, I had a conversation with Toby Halbrook, who was like, that writes with David and also, you know, is his producer. And, um, and he was had a real a big talk with me about being the difference between being a creative producer and like a line producer. Mm. Like, what do you really want to do? And that was very what enlightening. Was, real quick, what was his response to that? Because so much of the show is defining the different types of producers. So I'm curious what he responded and or how you define the difference of line producing versus creative producing. Yes. When you're in making these like either micro budget or really low budget movies, yeah. you're almost kind of forced to do both. And yeah, you yeah. might have some support in terms of production coordinators, production managers, line producers, but you're still doing a lot of the logistical producing. And I've worked on several films in which I'm the producer. I'm kind of doing both. What you're looking at is what do you want out of your career? So he was like saying, like, let's talk future. What do you want your path to be? And what do you what do you foresee? And so what he was talking about as a creative producer, you're doing more development. You're really like shepherding projects you're working really closely with the writer directors in the writing phases, in the casting phases, in the, you know, in in initial things. And, and you're literally like the side component to the, like, let's say the writer director, the director, the writer, you know, like in a creative capacity, when you're a line producer, that's the one. And and as a creative producer, you're still kind of overseeing things such as Mm -hmm. the budget and strategy for distribution and who's the right person to sell it to. But as the line producer, you're really more day to day, really fine tuning, like the budget, the schedule, you know, hiring the crew, all those things. And he's like, look, Liz, you can make a really good living as a line producer because they need line producers. They, it's a skill set in and of itself, but, right. but don't mistake the two. There are, there are different pathways, even if their lines mm-hmm. are blurred mm-hmm. in the independent mm-hmm. space. But it's good to know where you want to go. Right. I think I've got skill sets for certain things, but I'm definitely a creative producer. So that really helped define that. And then, you know, after a ghost story, after never going back and having conversations with Augustine, you know, she was kind of like, what do you want? Yeah. And so then she's like, look, Liz, I don't think you want to be my producer. I don't think you'd be like fulfilled. I think you still want to continue writing and directing. And she knows me because we're friends. And so as a friend, you care about your friend. And as two women, you want to support each other's creative endeavors. Yeah. You know, like after never going back, you know, she took off. And and I knew that would be the case because I knew how talented she was. And then I also was like, if you can nail comedy and kind of like almost raunchy comedy in Hollywood as a female, you're going to have your, you know, you write your own ticket. Yeah. And we talked about other projects to work on together, but it was like, you're going to get seen as like my producer. And I don't think you want that. And I was like, I don't. And so that was kind of the turning point, like what you're getting at where it's like, who am I? And what do I want? True friends have the difficult conversation. And I have a multitude of friends in this business, but I do have a special place for my fellow women filmmaker producers because it's, it's a tough business. And I think we have to be extra supportive of our fellow women creatives. Yeah. I think there's so many stories that need to be told and I want to help shepherd these emerging voices, unique points of views, diverse storytelling. But yet I also want to, I want to tell my story. How do you reconcile with that? I keep telling myself, 
this is the last year. Now I'm focusing on me. Okay. No, no, this is the year I'm focusing. So this is the and year. How, and how's that going? <laughs> if you know where you want to go, you use your past mistakes to learn from and you go with your gut, it ends up working out. Right now I'm in the place that I'm supposed to be where I've got like the various projects that I've worked on already. So like the one that just got released, the one that just had its world premiere, we're getting offers. It's going to get to be yeah. released on the one in post. So I've got like the these three features that I've produced in the last like, you know, two years or whatever that are in these various stages. And then right now I've got a bigger project that I'm super excited about. That is a much bigger budget that I've worked on. It's a bigger, it's a higher concept. And then I've got my small thing that I want to direct. And so then it's like, okay, if this, you know, little, bigger things yeah. take a little bit longer so I can still keep working on the revisions of my project and trying to raise my money and my project right, right, really right. small since it would be my first time to direct a feature. You know, I've directed short films. Yeah. At the moment, I'm not taking on the smaller films because I have to like kind of draw the line in the sand. Like I've got to work on some bigger things for sustainability, my career. But let's talk about that. Like this idea of boundaries and drawing the line in the sand is one that I discuss a lot on the show because especially coming up, regardless of what sect of the business you're in, there's so much, there's such a huge period of time where you kind of have to do all the things full throttle, no matter what comes your way, just to get ahead, just to get your foot in the door, just to create that work ethic. And then there comes a breaking point where you have to set these boundaries for yourself or you keep getting abused. And if you are not paying attention to your point of where you want to go and what what the journey is, like that you hope to unfold for you is then you're going to get swallowed up by the industry and you'll be spit out once like your best years of youth are behind you. Um, and so, so much of the conversations here are about creating boundaries as a person in this business, but especially as women. So how have you found that? How have you found that for yourself? I feel like I'm just getting that now. So how long has it taken you to get to there? Several films. <laughs> like 10 years minimum, would you say? I think so. Yeah. Okay. That's when I was great. making those family kids films, I was the creator. I wasn't just the producer. So I learned a bunch of stuff as a creator. Right. And so now what I'm looking at it, like I'm going back to my root as like a writer and an actor and wanting to strengthen my voice as a director, mm. like all the stuff that I've done for other filmmakers, I'm going to take that and now put it to mine. Yeah. And so now I'm like, okay, now I'm in the place where I have paid my dues. I feel like I've learned a good amount. I'm in that not emerging, but not successful. I'm in that mid-level producer range of like, and I have tons of people coming to me wanting to like produce their films. And now I can be more selective and I'm not coming from like a scarcity mindset of having to yeah. take everything. I can go, I can turn this down and it's okay. And I can take a moment to go, okay, I'm going to go back to my roots and focus on mine. Unless it's a really specific project mm. that gives me the goosebumps and the chills and like I have to be a part of it and is something in my trajectory of like, oh, this is where it's going to lead yeah. me. Yes. yes I don't yes. think the path is straight. It's like winding, right? I don't think it has to be black and white. It's always these shades of gray. And so it's just about listening to your own inner voice yeah. about who you are at that moment as like an artist, as a yeah. filmmaker, as a storyteller. What do you want? What is fulfilling? What is gratifying to you? And what is it that you haven't learned that you want to learn? What is it that you haven't experienced that you haven't experienced? And then 
what's the challenge yeah. coming from a place of like, is, am I kind of afraid of this? Then let's do it. Then let's try it. What is it that's important to you now? And what is important to you now may have not have been a couple years ago and it may differ in a few years, but I think that's the beauty of it. Well, and I think to your point, it's like if you really paying attention and it, it comes back to, I think, what ultimately is mindfulness and really knowing who you are. And I think so many people struggle in our business because it takes a while to know who you are. Yeah. I don't think I know a single person who like was just, just like certain in their 20s and like maybe they got lucky or they had something they could lean on as a crutch that got them to a place and then they have to go, oh my God, like, is this where I want to be? But so much of that is trusting right? Trusting the path, but trusting yourself and then trusting that maybe you thought like you were supposed to be going here, but to your point, now there's a right-hand turn and you, you take it and you don't realize that that right-hand turn actually dumps you out further along on the same road up ahead. A hundred percent. Yeah. People get really locked into one way of anything being done. And I think it's the beauty and the despair of our business is exactly that, is that there is no one way to do anything. And there is no one path. And so it is liberating, but also terrifying because if you're looking to like, I mean, I, I'm so guilty of this. Like when I first moved out here, I would watch a movie, get inspired, go on IMDb, compare myself to everybody there and go, well, they were this old and they went to this school and I haven't done this and I haven't done that. So gosh, I'm so behind. And, and like, I mean, whatever youth, but like a lot of wasted energy where I could have just been creating or putting that towards something more fruitful than just beating myself up because I my path for whatever reason didn't take me anywhere near the journey of what I thought I had to be on to get to the same place. Right. So, and gosh, I mean, I wonder how many people probably, you know, Google you or me or whoever and have that same experience looking at things that I've done. Right. And I'm like, gosh, I'm just getting started. Like I barely know what I'm doing. And sometimes is what it yeah. feels like. And so the context is so important. And and like think that like to your point, like that humility and that sense of like in- integrity and the mindfulness for knowing yourself. And I mean, I think for me, I, I can say that it really only happened and shifted about five years ago. And wow. I've been here 15 years yeah. on this journey and on this grind. And I've been working my ass off and I've been showing up and doing my best. But to where, where it finally intersected for me, where I was like, ah, I get it. I understand now what's important to me, who I want to be in the business, like what is the path that I want to go on and who has done that path beautifully that I can look to, to sort of emulate and to inspire me. Yeah. And also that's the people that I try to connect with, right? Cause it's such a massive business, but it also is so small. And I think so much of when you're starting out and you're looking to like, well, I want to do this and getting really specific, then you can start aligning yourself with the kind of people who also have that similar taste or point of view and whatever it is that you want to do. And I think that that is a big initial hurdle to finding your tribe and to eventually getting into the kinds of groups of people where you're just in that same frequency. You know? That is exactly what it is. I mean, I wouldn't be here without like, you know, working hard, a good work ethic, being passionate, you know, being honest, but it's like, I wouldn't be here without the friends slash collaborators that I've, that, ha- that I've worked with and that I've helped and who have helped me along the way. And sometimes those groups, get bigger or they kind of yeah. change, you still maybe have friendships. I have like filmmaker friends, I have producer groups. And I feel like having that is so essential to your like mental health because this business is really difficult. And so when you do have that support system of they help keep you accountable to what your dreams are. Yeah. This business can be very fun. It can be kind of magical when you create films or whatever the project may be that that 
touch people's lives, make people laugh, cry. Like there's something super special about that, but it can also be really lonely in particular being a producer, right? (laughs) you know? And so as an independent producer too, because you know, my experience is very much independent producing. Right. And that's my path as well. And and like, I've had producers from all, all corners of the business here, all walks of life. But yeah, I think the common thread is that, that it is such a lonely path, but it doesn't have to be that way because the more I do these conversations, the more I realize we all struggle with exactly the same things, especially as women. I mean, I've had producers on here who are Oscar winning, who have first look deals, who have, you name it, all the goals that you write down and go, one day I want to do this mom. And like, they've done it. They're there. And they're like, it's still fucking hard. It's still, I still feel worthless. Sometimes I feel, I still fall apart when a project falls apart. I still have days where I want to throw in the towel and just like open up a coffee shop in Fiji and make it work, you know, like, so, and I find that like in one one way I find that really um, assuring, but also depressing because to be honest, it, it's it's a reminder that yes, this is fun and this is amazing, but no matter how high you climb, it, the work continues to be challenging and to be to be hard and to be demanding. And it's there's more responsibility and expectations. And if you you know are delivering and producing the kind of work that warrants a-listers and working with the 1% of the business, then how do you, how do you continue that? Like that's the pressure is tremendous. Right. And so it's it's the reminder of like, just really taking stock and inventory of where you are in that journey. And then the gratitude of, of, of getting to be in this position anyway, because I think as storytellers, like it's such a privilege that we get to do this. And I also, and I said this before on the show, but like it, it, it's a responsibility I don't take lightly because the kinds of stories that we, especially as independent producers, have yes. a little bit more authority, right? In like shaping narratives and casting, it really it impacts people and it informs identity and it informs culture. And I think that is really important and important note. And so when I'm going through my cycles of like, oh gosh, like, should I leave it all behind and go do something else? You know, that's usually what I come back to. It's like, well, everything is hard and this is also hard, but when it's good, it's so good. And it, and, and when it works to your point, it is magical. You get to empower people and just create something that really outlasts you because you don't, as yes. with film, you don't know how somebody's going to react to something and you don't know who's going to discover your film in 20 years who like really needed to see that experience or that narrative at that time. And I find the, the prospect of that really exciting. And it's, it's kind of what keeps me going and and truly, but but doing it on on the terms of like, how can you create all of this and create a career from a place of integrity and authenticity? Because there are so many shady people, unfortunately, that, you know, especially that call themselves producers and it dilutes the credit, it dilutes the title. Um, but I think it's important. Yeah. And part of like my MO with the show is to show yeah. anyone who's listening, whether they're an aspiring producer, or there's a lot of filmmakers who listen to the show because like, Rarely do you get to hear two producers talk to each other, right? Right. Um, is is just to to remind people that like it is absolutely possible to find success, to make good money, to find your tribe, and to find your place in this business from that place of authenticity and integrity. It just may take a little longer, but if right. you're willing to hold on, like it's so much worth it when you get to the other side and you look back at the things you've built and the relationships you've made, and you go, "It's my blood, sweat, and tears." And those are my mistakes, right? That I earned, that the lessons I've learned. And these are, and I'm proud of the path that I've walked so far. And I think that's really, really important, especially as like, it's just the explosion of content and the amount of people and the insurgence of new, new energy coming in and new blood. Like that is my hope, at least that, that people listening can help create 
this inclusive industry, not just from a place of the kinds of stories and casting, but energetically inclusive. Yeah, no, totally. A tough thing is people understanding like what exactly a producer does. Right. And again, in the independent space, how instrumental a producer is to the project. I don't know. I think the thing that that was harder for me to accept, even though I heard it from the producers ahead of me, and then I'm like, wow, they were right. And I don't know, kind of when you're going back to like boundaries, but it's like you you spend so much time, like you talked about blood, sweat, and tears. As a producer, you do spend blood, sweat, and tears having that writer-director's vision come to life on screen. And when the movie comes out after you've worked on it for several years, only people care about the writer-director and the actors. Yeah. It's almost as if you're invisible. And then you have more people that are like, I love your work. Will you help me on mine? And then it's a really cool filmmaker. It's a really cool project. And you're like, okay. And you do that a few times. And then you're like, oh my gosh. Like, and other people's careers are so much farther. And you're like, I'm right here, but none of these stories would have happened. And so if you're an emerging producer, really try to like protect yourself. Yes. And this hasn't happened to me, but I've had friends tell stories in which they produced the short film and then they weren't kept on for the feature, you know? So I've had producer friends say, I start putting in my, you know, if I'm going to produce a short film, I put in my agreement. I'm also the producer on the feature or, Hey, I'm producing this micro budget, low budget feature. I'm putting in language into my producer agreement so that if there is an offshoot or, you know, something happens on a second one, I'm involved in right. that. Cause I help this, you know, and there's different things that you can do to kind of protect yourself as well as just honest conversation. Right. And when you said a lot of filmmakers watch this too, I've had really heart to heart conversations about this with other writer directors who have been successful. And they're like, I never saw it like that. Right. And I appreciate right. you taking the time to, to talk to me about this because right. I see what you're saying. I think it's, it's a re-education of the entire industry because the producer role has shifted tremendously, right? Like it used to be there was one producer who did everything and now there's, it's created a lot of jobs. It's very compartmentalized, but on the indie space, you're right. Sometimes you are wearing all the hats. Sometimes you're the person making no money, pushing this boulder uphill. And it almost feels like you're a scout, like Kara Durrett famously talks about this. She's like, you know, indie film producers are like scouts for the the studios because we go, we take all of the gamble and all of the risk on all the filmmakers. And once they win Sundance and they've, we've built them up to be the kind of filmmaker, we've developed them to become someone that now the studios are like, oh, they're ready for the the big leagues. Then it's like, bye-bye. They get taken off and sail away into the next land. And then the producers get left behind. And, And if at least there was a financially a model that supported that where it's like oh I'm a salaried producer or I know I'm going to be able to make a living doing this I think it wouldn't hurt as much but I definitely have had those experiences where you're at a film festival and your director gets up there and forgets to thank you and you're like how is that conceivable so I think it's re-educating filmmakers, especially writer-directors, of what the producer is, what the value of the producer is. And then it just comes down to integrity, honestly, and like a personal choice. Like either that filmmaker is going to advocate for you at the festivals and be like, no, my producer needs to come up on stage with me. And no, my producer needs to be listed come on up this. With, no, yes, 100%. Pl- like other, or otherwise it doesn't happen. I mean, Rebecca Green is obviously beautifully doing this with the producers union she's creating. And 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 this is the first year she was yep. saying that finally, I think it was like Tribeca maybe included, even listed producers in the programs of the film they produce. So if we can create this right. 
which right. is crazy that it's such a slow haul to get us here, then I think people can start to really understand the value of a producer. And sometimes I fantasize about what it would be like if all producers went on strike, you know, like writers get to go on strike, actors strike. Cool. Well, what if all producers went on strike? What would actually happen? You know, at least on the indie space, like so much would come to a halt. And maybe that's what it would take for people to really be like, oh, shit, we don't want to do this work. Like we, a lot of people don't even want to do the work, which is the the ironic part is like so much of the people want the credit and the glory, but not really want to do the actual work required of a producer. And it, it is very upsetting. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel you on that. Yeah, because back in the day, it would be producers were like the big person and they would make a good amount of money. I mean, Chris Moore, who's also yeah, part yeah. of the, the Producers Collective that I'm involved with, with Rebecca. And, you know, he's very vocal about like the, the, the days of when he was like a producer for Goodwill Hunting and the American Pie movies. He's like, that's done, you know? And he was like, and now it's like the big, big studio stuff. And then like the indie stuff, which is shrinking and shrinking. Yeah. The deals aren't the same. You know, I've had conversations with uh, people at studios that are like, oh, yeah, if a director fought for their producer, they could bring them. But they don't think that. And it's not that the director is so bad or wrong. It's they're getting their first big deal. So they're like, I don't want to rock the boat. Of course. They also will be like, oh, I want my photographer or my production designer. And they're like, oh, of course, no problem. Don't want to mess it up. When I've been at like film festivals, it's like you have your big premiere. All they want to interview is the writer, director, or the actor. Right. Well, we are changing that with this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I've been really fortunate because, like the 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 filmmakers that I worked with uh, recently, uh, that was a Duplass Brothers film that w- had their world premiere at Tribeca, Roshan, Sethi, and Karen Stoney. You know, they were like including me on everything, and they're like, "No, no, Liz is going to come here. Liz is going to be here." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Right. And then I was talking to our publicist. And I was like, I know a lot of times producers don't really come to this. And she's like, I don't know why, like they should. Yes. So I think it's about what we have to do as producers. Yeah. And that's why I'm stressing this to emerging producers, to emerging writer directors is have these conversations about like, look, I'm doing this and this is in my agreement. Kind of have these open conversations as opposed to just kind of like, I work really hard. I'll get the recognition at some point. And then years go by and then you're like, well, I'll get it at some point. I think we're now having some of these conversations and things are changing because like you said, just the film festivals now, including the producer's name. So it's, it's time. You know, again, I have lots of various producer groups. If you really look at their like resume, they all made amazing, huge films and great films. Yeah. I think it has to, because it is the, the way the industry has shifted. It's like the value of a producer it has never been more apparent, at least to us. And I think people are slowly catching on, you know, because it's like, who's going to do this, this work. And with so many people going in house, and like, I think also the pool of independent producers who can stomach and handle the bullshit we've been talking about, um, and the ups and downs is like shrinking. And so, you know, I, I feel, feel hopeful that it's, we're headed in the right direction. Yeah. But, um, but so shifting gears for a minute, I, I do want to chat a little bit about some of, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, a lot of the mistakes you've made and learned from, but one of the things I love to dig into the show is the ups and downs, right. And especially the downs and like how, when you've had, however that you define that, whether it's a period of time, how you've gotten through that, right. Cause it, as you said, it comes with so many challenges and I'm always fascinated by how anyone overcomes the adversity to keep going in an industry that is so hard. So will you speak to that? And you can use specific examples or just generally, but how that has 
occurred for you, how you've navigated these times that were maybe really dark and maybe you did want to quit and you didn't, you're here. So I, I honestly think that for me, the business hasn't necessarily been easy. Yeah. But I ended up going through a change in my life personally. So it was the work that helped me get through that. Mm. And the first thing that just popped in my head when you were saying this, right, was the times that I've been down uh, within personal things in my life or, you know, a movie falling apart, things not going well. It's when I would talk with one of my other filmmakers and then you just start talking about the script or the story. And then I start getting excited and I would find myself having just pure joy from the collaboration that that's kind of what kept me going. It's almost like the being optimistic and the hope and the idea of telling unique, cool stories that like the hope of it, the anticipation of it was enough Mm. when I would have these conversations and I would have, again, my various filmmakers be like, oh my gosh, when we had that conversation, it, I didn't see it at first, but I got it now. And here I wrote this rewrite and read it. And I read the rewrite and it's so much better. Or the advice I gave paid off. And I'm like, I kind of do know what I'm talking about. Like, maybe I really do. The connection and collaboration with my fellow storytellers in these very human moments. Because again, also you're working really closely with people. So whatever art you're talking about, you usually end up talking about life too. It's almost like I forget about real life we're talking about the story and we're talking about the shoot and we're talking about this. And that is what I feel like kind of has always kept me going. Yeah. It's interesting then that like that you find your way out of the darkness of the business through the work itself, <laughs> which is amazing because I think it speaks volumes then to the true love and passion you have for it. Right. And like people love to throw that word around. But I do think at the end of the day, what keeps most people coming back is is that in spite of all of that, there's just the possibility of what can be is so much greater than any of the odds against you that it's like, there's really nothing else that you could imagine doing. Right. Oh my gosh. No. Yeah, totally. And I, and, and I have a crazy kind of lifestyle. I mean, obviously I'm staying at at Tara's place right now and everybody that knows me is always like, where are you now? Like, where are you living? What are you doing? And so I've been very mindful of keeping costs down, almost having a little bit more of a nomadic mm. like lifestyle. So, and I, I talk about that as far as like embracing this nomadic period in my life to, uh, so that to allow me this life. Yeah. And, and my whole struggle is always like, okay, how long can I sustain this? Like at some point I will have to get a job at a production company, at a studio, but I've been trying to, to maintain this independent thing for as long as possible. And I'm like, I'm just there. I'm almost there. One more. Yeah. So for me, it's never been a question of like staying in the business or not. It's just a matter of like, oh, I know I could get a job somewhere, but then I'm producing for someone as opposed to me choosing what I want to produce. And, and I don't have all the answers. Yeah. Like I've had numerous conversations with other producers, women in particular, but any producers about joining forces. Like, do we create our own company. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, that sounds great. But then you get a little scared of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard to go like, hey, let's all group together as producers, but I'm also going to go right and direct some stuff. So to me, it's navigating this path. 
but there's never a doubt yeah. that this is what I'm doing. It's just, can I hold out as an indie or do I need to take a job? So you've never contemplated or fantasized about leaving the business and like what else you could do? No, I, I, that's like completely foreign to me. Like I can't even imagine. Yeah. I love that. What normally fills your well, like when you start getting depleted energetically, creatively, what is it that kind of gets you back up? I would say my dog. (laughs) They're just pure love, joy, being present in the moment. They make me laugh and I play with my dogs and I play with my niece and I'm like a kid. And that is rejuvenating. Yeah. Spending time in nature, you know, as as small as it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go walk on the beach, see a beautiful sunset, go on a hike. A little time of that can be so rejuvenating for me. Yeah. yeah. And for me personally, I love writing. Like, I love it. And that's why I started. And so to me, after producing and having my brain be focused on budgets and locations and solving problems and, and, and trying to sell the movie, whatever, when I carve out the time to write, that to me is, is, is really like the thing that is rejuvenating for me. Like I enjoy it. And like, I literally was on prep for a feature that I just shot in Oregon this spring. And I wrote a narrative podcast. It was fun, but I'm like, who writes something while they're in prep on a feature? (laughs) You do. (laughs) But that really was like the, the, the side thing or whatever. And I was like, this is so crazy, but I love it. Like it was fun. How do you define boundaries? I know that word keeps, keeps coming up a lot in this conversation when you are working with friends, though, because I, I, I know coming up, I definitely had a lot of um, heartbreaks with people that I thought were friends and we collaborated together. And then they, you know, I, especially as a producer, I was like, help give notes and get a thing to a place. And when the thing was in that place, they would take it away from me and be like, oh, you're not attached or, oh, my manager wants me to get someone of note, you know, on this. and. After so many of those, I had to retreat for a while and and reconcile that in myself. And it took me a while to like heal from that and trust people again, honestly. Yes. But you have clearly worked time and time again with people who are your friends and you seem to continue to be able to create and sustain these relationships successfully. So what's your secret sauce for doing that? If I talk like specifically about like, you know, Augustine and David and, you know, the Sailor Bay guys from Texas, you know, they are still my friends. And I haven't worked with them recently, but we're still friends. So the friendship was always as important or more important than the work, right? And it was also something where I learned a lot from them. So I also kind of wanted to spread my wings and go off and learn more with other people. I don't ever want to feel like I'm riding coattails or I'm benefiting off someone else. So I have the friendship still. And then I have people that I've worked with more than once. I have been burned. I've had the friend, the people that are friends that I've worked with that have completely betrayed me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought we were friends. Like, so I feel like as, as I've gone over the course of time, mm. I've been better at like listening to my gut, seeing the red flags. Because now if I look back at it, I'm like, oh, I can see the characteristics of some of those people, manipulative and a little bit more like superficial that, you know, it feels real, but it really isn't. There's just certain things that now I'm more attuned to. So when I see those, I'm like, okay, that's not somebody I'm going to get involved with. And then secondly, it's just having like the really direct, really honest conversation, super cool and chill of like, hey, let's like sign this agreement. Mm. You do stuff to protect yourself because that's what you do. It has nothing to do with the friendship or the relationship. This is a business. 
let's just sign an agreement. Let's let's cross our T's. Like communicate what you want. What are your goals? What are my goals? Why am I doing this? Right, 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 right. Setting the boundaries. Like, yeah, I'm willing to help you for this amount of time, but after that, I'm gonna have to step away because I'm just helping you. Or in this case, right. I'll be an EP to consult, but this is what I'm gonna, this is what I'm gonna be required from it. Because then now that's done, now you can just continue working together and having that friendship. It's a really good point. Yeah. I think a lot of people uh, ask that and I, I always get this, you know, a lot of people coming up who maybe don't haven't had their first work produced yet. They're always like, I just need a producer. I just got to find a producer. I just got to find someone. And I, I always caution them that it, you don't need just someone you need like the right person for you. And that, that I think to right. me is the difference yes. make or break difference when someone's kind of starting out is someone who um, can actually take the time to really discern what it is that they're looking for in a producer. And, and again, that like energetic marriage that you can't articulate that just works for two people. It would work for them, but doesn't work for these other people and just finding what that is for you. And then it does come with trial and error sometimes. And so, you know, I do encourage people to just go out there and I mean, yeah, get your heart broken. Cause that's frankly how you learn, right? Those boundaries and how to find the people that aren't your people. When I talk about like the collaborations and the friendships, those have all developed organically. It wasn't like somebody coming to me, hey, I have a project. Right. Here's my business card. Let's be friends. Right. Yeah. And then I've worked with people that was straight up business and then we've become friends. Right. Right. But it's like the people that I've worked with that I was friends with before, it just kind of happened organically. So it's not like I'm working for you. It's like we start talking about a pro, you know, we're talking. We're inspired by something similar, like, oh, we should work on this. Then it develops and it happens. And and it's all like an organic process. If you get hired and you're getting like paid and you've got actual contracts and over the course of filming, you become friends, that's great. Want to work together again. But other than that, the friendship working has always just been organic. Yeah, exactly. The real one. Exactly. And and again, that just takes time. My experience is of everyone I've spoken to in my own journey, 15 years now here, like the amount of time it takes to find your people and to find the right sort of energetic circles just takes the time that it takes. And if you're lucky enough to get out alive and not be a cynical asshole in the process, then I think you're off to the races. And then it's just a matter of the things clicking in your journey when they're supposed to. And I encourage people to stay the course if that's what they want to do, you know, no matter how hard it gets, because we need the energy, we need the perspectives, and we need your stories. If you're ready, here's the Angle on Producers lightning round. Okay. (laughs) What's a song that teleports you to a happy place? Frank Sinatra's I Get a Kick Out of You. What is the latest piece of art that moved you? God, there's so many. The Green Knight. I'm one of those people that can be moved by the cinematic piece or the the painting or the song or the dance. But then if there's meaning behind it, that's like personal, that it, it takes on an, another layer. That's a good answer. Okay. This is a fill in the blank. When I'm overworked, blank helps ease the stress. <laughs> that's easy, but I already answered it. I'd say my doggies. You kind of did. You kind of did your dogs. I have two golden retrievers who are super loving and sweet and cute and crazy. And yeah. What is one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And it doesn't have to be financial. I think it was like all the time that I spent producing like short films for really talented filmmakers where I was like short film, there's no budget, so I'm not getting paid. But that was an investment. It was an investment in my time 
in the relationships with these filmmakers that I end up working with them in the future. Yeah. And then also even making my short films. Mm. So the last and final question, and this is because I love the Inside the Actor Studio and I wish there was inside the producer's studio. So borrowing from the Inside the Actor Studio, um, which there's a question inspired by the famed French, French journalist Bernard Pivot. The question is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, I could probably start crying right now. Uh, yeah, like I would want him to say like, here's your mom and dad. I uh, took care of both my parents and they're not here. And I, I think about them every day. And they're definitely part of my life, my life, my story, my identity, being a caregiver. That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and going there. I bet they're really proud. I hope so. I'm not a parent yet, but I would imagine that that's what any parent wants for their kid, you know, is for them to be fulfilled and happy. And I do think deep down inside, she would be really proud of trying to make a difference in, in the world with storytelling and, and being an advocate for other women. Yeah, I would bet. I would bet a lot of money that you're right. So when you get there, let me know. <laughs> Send a pigeon down or a message down from the... this has been so lovely thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me and share a little bit of your of your story and your wisdom with me and the listeners like you said you know we are a community we learn through osmosis we learn through other people's experiences and their willingness to talk about these things very transparently and so i'm eternally grateful and i know everyone who listens is as well so thank you so much I really enjoy speaking with you. It, you're so interesting and I, I love what you're doing and I appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much for tuning in and doing this life thing with me. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I'm at Carolina Gropa. You can find the show at angleonproducers.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Beijos. <laughs>